You're listening to The Better Man Podcast, becoming life-giving men together. Welcome to The Better Man Podcast, everybody. My name is Adam Torno. Today on the podcast, my guest is Alan Fadling. Alan is a speaker and an author. He uh, runs a ministry called Unhurried Living with he and his wife. About 10 years ago, he wrote a book called An Unhurried Life, and the message was relevant 10 years ago, and it is still relevant today. In fact, he's got a new resource out called A Year of Slowing Down, which is a daily devotional about this unhurried living. Now, I'll be honest, when I saw that this was the topic for today... I had all these preconceived notions of where the conversation was going to go. I thought Alan was going to say that we're all on our phones too much. We're watching too much TV. I thought he was going to have all these statistics of how much we're binging Netflix and watching Netflix and how our calendars are so full. And I just thought it was going to be one big, you know, guilt trip. Uh, And it was nothing like that at all. His message is so refreshing and so encouraging and so challenging. And he, he basically, I, I don't want to steal his thunder, but he talks about uh, the difference between being hurried and being busy. And one of those is a condition of the soul. The other one is just the condition of where your calendar is. And so uh, you're going to love getting to know Alan. So with all that, enjoy my conversation with Alan Fadlin. Well, Alan, welcome to the Better Man Podcast. Good to have you here today. It's great to be with you. Thanks. Uh, you want to let everybody know a little bit about your background and what you're doing today and how you got there? Well, um, I've been uh, been in ministry. I just figured out that in January of this year, it was my 40th anniversary of being in paid local ministry. First half of that was in the local church. Uh, the last 20 years have been more so in, a, in kind of an itinerant role coming alongside pastors and ministers and leaders and such. So, um, yeah, I've been at this a little while. Um, this, this theme of hurry has really been a lifelong one. I, in the first line of my first book, I say, you know, I'm a recovering speed addict. Uh, but I'm not talking about drugs. I'm talking about my soul, you know. <laughs> yeah, and that can mean a couple different things, right? <laughs> it could mean more than one thing. And so I find that a lot of men identify with that line. Uh, there's so many reasons uh, we get hurried on the inside, especially as men. And so uh, a lot of my work is trying to help leaders, especially to catch a vision for Jesus unhurried way, like in all the best possible ways he's unhurried. He's got time for people when a lot of us would be running past people to do things. He's got time for the father when a lot of us run out of time for prayer because we're doing all kinds of important stuff, uh, just not maybe the most important stuff sometimes. Um, so that's a little bit about me and about what I'm up to these days. That's right. And you're in Orange County and you're wearing, uh, not everybody can see this because it's an audio podcast. You said you're wearing your big heavy winter coat. Uh, yes, because right right? it's just freezing here in the uh, mid fifties. Yeah, <laughs> we're, right. we're really struggling here in uh, Southern California with this cold blast of ours. Yes. And for those that can't see, his big heavy winter coat looks nothing like George Costanza's big Gore-Tex jacket that he had. This is It's just a normal, nice-looking black leather jacket that he's got on that is great and it's for warm. the 50s. And it is. I bet it is warm. <laughs> I bet it is warm <laughs> with all that. So yeah, so I mean, we're, let's talk about this. So this idea of hurry, it seems to be very popular in the church right now. And I'm sure if we look out throughout all of church history, this is probably like everything, nothing new under the sun. These topics kind of come and go. But I'm going to say you're one of the OGs, right? Because your book came out uh, 10 years ago as you were writing about this. This this is not necessarily something that was new for you uh, at that point. So why do you think that here we are, you know, 10 years later, this is still a relevant message, or maybe it's even gaining some steam right now? What, what are you seeing out there? 
No, I appreciate that. Yeah, if you want to talk OGs, I I like to point back to Dallas Willard, who famously said to John Ortberg, you know, you you need to ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. Um, uh, But yeah, I, I wrote about this 10 years ago. I would say that these last three years have only served to amplify and accelerate the problem of hurry. Uh, I think we feel it more than we've ever felt it before. But I've also said that when I wrote the book, I had quotations in my research from most of the centuries going back to the first of some human experience of hurry. Now, what hurry looks like post-iPhone and internet and social media is different than what it looked like 100 years ago when people were bemoaning, you know, horse-drawn carriages and how fast that sped everything up, you know. <laughs> but uh, but anyway, all that to say, I just think the reasons for hurry um, haven't changed. They are human reasons. Anxiety is a human reason that a lot of us become soul-hurried. Uh, a, a deep longing for recognition for what we do is one of the things that will accelerate us on the inside. You know, living in a world that says we are what we have. So, you know, at its worst, greed is an accelerator of our souls. So all of these are, you know, yeah, I think they're multiplied, amplified here in the last few years, but they've been human issues for a very, very long time. Yeah, I appreciate you sharing that. I mean, that is right. And yeah, so the context may look a little different. But you mentioned something a little bit earlier. You said the last three years. And yeah. so one of the things I remember, so I assume you mean like since the pandemic, is that correct? Especially, yeah. Yeah, which was so interesting because if we go back about three years ago, almost to the day, I'm looking over here at my calendar, almost to the day when you and I are recording this, when the world started to fall apart and when things started to slow slow down, if you talk to people, at least in my sphere that I was running around with, everybody was appreciating how unhurried they felt. And that was maybe in those early stages in March or so. Uh, but then it looks like we just kind of, it was almost like that rubber band. It just kind of came back really, really fast. So uh, is that what you're seeing as well? Like, is there something about, like, like talk more about that over the last three years and why you think it's so relevant now? Yeah, your description's really helpful. I think a lot of us, especially in those initial months, you know, here in California, we took a, an especially cautious approach to this pandemic. And so a lot of us were slowed down in the sense that we simply couldn't take our kids to the 17 things on their calendar, or we couldn't do most of the things that used to fill up our lives. The difference is now we can, and we know what it feels like when we couldn't. And so now it's left to us whether or not we will make the choice about how hurried our schedules become. So I think we're feeling something now that we didn't have as in clear relief three years ago. And so it's kind of like we got a taste of what it might look like if we decided that we weren't going to so pack our lives. But, you know, one of the things I I really want to clarify, because one of the things Dallas Willard would often say is that there's a difference between hurry and busy. Busy, that's your calendar. Jesus had busy days when the crowds just kept coming with their needs and desires. So busy's your calendar. Hurried, that's your soul. That's what's happening in you uh, in an empty day or in a full day, in a quiet season, or in a very densely packed season of life and work. And I, so what I've been experimenting with and what I come alongside leaders, I think you can live through busy seasons with an unhurried soul. That to me is the invitation. 
And I'm finding I just do better work even in dense seasons of intensive, you know, commitments when my inside is not as frantic as it sometimes has been in the past. Yeah, that's really compelling to think about that difference between busy and hurried. And I appreciate that, uh, that distinction and that clarity uh, there. So if somebody's like driving around right now going, okay, well, Alan, which one am I? How do I know? Are there some, uh, like some questions that they would ask? Or if you were sitting across from them having a cup of coffee, what are some of the symptoms? I don't know what other word to use. Symptoms that would let you know, hey, I'm, I'm actually struggling with being hurried right now, that state of my soul, not just a full calendar. Yeah. So earlier I, I shared some of the engines of hurry. So you might look to see what's your anxiety levels these days? Uh, or to what degree are you desperate? And that's a strong word, but I'll use it. Uh, desperate that everyone like what you do and affirm what you do and appreciate what you do. How much do you need that? Um, Jesus did not seem to need that very much. He seemed really quite satisfied with his father's, you are my beloved son. That seemed to fill his need for recognition. And so he was able to deal with the crowds graciously, but firmly he was able to say yes and no as he needed to. So anxiety, that sort of hunger for recognition, um, the idea that, you know, I can't be happy unless I get the next new whatever it is thing. Like I'm still using a, an iPhone. I don't know how many generations old it is. But they won't even give me a penny for it if I tried to trade it in. I'll give you at least that's how old it is. And so all of those are ways. This is the diagnostic I'll often give to leaders. I'll say, sit down, be still, and be quiet for five minutes. Set the timer on your iPhone, turn it upside down, and do nothing for five minutes. What happens in your soul? If you can't be relaxed, if you start getting frantic about, I need to do something, you may be wrestling with the issue of hurry. And I think what we'll find is that most of us are. This is this a pretty universal thing. And I think one of the other things we have to admit is we live in a culture that rewards hurry. And so to decide you want to take a more unhurried approach to things, and again, I'm just talking about our souls, you will have to opt for a rather countercultural approach to your life and to your work. Yeah. And that's so interesting because, uh, what, six, eight, nine months ago, out there in the marketplace, one of the big buzz terms was this idea of quiet quitting, right? Which was, in many ways, if you got in there and looked at it, was a rejection of the hustle culture. Because uh, the hustle culture was out there, you know, and on the entrepreneurial world, it was, I get up at 4.30, I take a cold shower, I make seven phone calls, I do this and this, all before 6 a.m. Like, they were putting those old army commercials to shame, right? With yeah. the, You know, remember those? It was like, oh, we do oh, yes. before 6 a.m. that most people do all day. Um, and and so, you know, there there is, there's this pervasiveness out there that you have got to be hustling, hustle, hustle, hustle. And that's what it means to be a leader, which can become a sense of identity, right? Yeah, it can. And and again, um, I, I love to work hard. Uh, and I think there's some great lines out there, like, you know, Coach John Wooden uh, of UCLA fame used to tell his players, uh, be quick, but don't hurry, which is another, I think, a positive way of saying there is a kind of holy quickness that, that we want to embrace. When I say unhurried, sometimes leaders get nervous. They think I must not get very much done. I must sit around in my recliner a lot. And that's not at all what I'm trying for. You know, the I think it's the uh, Navy SEALs who have that motto, uh, 
you know, slow is smooth and smooth is fast. And so again, what I'm trying to say is there's a kind of, maybe here's another way to say it. I just think peace is a better way to go about my work than anxiety is. I think security is a better way to go about my work than the insecurity of needing everybody to like the thing I do, needing everybody to agree with what I say. Like if I desperately need that, I'm not going into my work with a full cup. I'm going into my work looking for something from work to fill me up. And my work was never meant to do that. It's not not able to do that. I'm supposed to bring something to my work, an abundance to my work. So those are some of the ways I like to think about this that, that at least has helped me. Yeah. And then even the anecdote to greed, as you talked about there, you know, at, at its at its worst could be greed. It's that contentment, right? So working from a from a place of contentment, uh, then you're also going to be doing better work than also if you're peaceful and feeling secure and things like that. So I, I love that. And again, that, that distinction, and I love that you brought it up that people think unhurried and they may think lazy. Uh, do you, have you encountered that over the last decade? Are, are there people that are just kind of raising their hand if you're speaking somewhere or just going, so you just want me to be lazy. You just want me to do less. Is that what you want me to do, Alan? <laughs> is there, is there some pushback to that? Constantly. Yeah. Yes. And there are any number of reasons because one, there are lazy people. There just are, you know. <laughs> yes. There's a reason there's some lines about that in the scriptures, uh, because there are some people who just decide, I don't want to do anything. So I'm not recommending that, and that is, in fact, laziness is one of the most restless ways to live. It is not restful. It is not unhurried. It's the utter, absolute opposite. You'll find some of the most uncomfortable, unhappy people are lazy people. Um. So um, what I'm trying to say is, uh, again, some leaders seem to think they desperately need their anxious orientation to work. Like, if I don't stay anxious, I won't get anything done. And I've had to experiment with that because I grew up, I'm working on a project right now focused on anxiety and non-anxiety. And I've had to wrestle with a basic idea that I imagined my anxiety was an asset. I needed it. I needed it to keep me moving. I needed it to press me to high standards. But maybe Jesus is right about my anxiety. Maybe it won't make my life a minute longer or my stature an inch taller. Maybe it is more liability than asset. So what I've been saying is if anxiety, which is one of the forms of hurry, I think for a lot of us, especially as men, I've just noticed, we don't want to admit it, but I think it's true. Um, if anxiety is fuel, then it's fuel that burns dirty. Peace is like green energy. It gives us access to energy sources like joy or, or like the, just the presence of God's spirit. These are sustainable ways to live and to work and to, and to be fruitful in our lives. That, I think, at least for the Christian leader, the man who is wanting to be a disciple of Jesus, whatever it is that he's doing in his life, that to me is more in keeping with the spirit than some of the more driven, frantic sorts of ways of doing work that are very popular and affirmed in our culture today. Yeah. I like that you bring that up because that is convicting, right? Um, I, I have thought that myself, where if you were to look at my strength finders, responsibility is one of my top five strengths, which is in my quiet moments is this uneasiness, probably at, his, at its extreme, is the anxiety uh, to make sure that something's getting done, it's getting done well, no balls are going to drop, no plates, you know, that keep all the plates spinning. 
And I've thought, uh, sometimes I need that little pit in my stomach to really motivate me and, uh, and make me keep going. That's kind of maybe the secret of some of my success. But that, that's a slippery slope, right, is what I think I'm hearing you say. That could, that, that could quickly, yeah, it's great to want to do good work and to work hard. But uh, that pit in the stomach, we may be going a little bit too far. Am I, am I hearing you right there? Yeah, I, you know, you can get into nuances here and, and such. But I think the thing that I want to say is that it's interesting. In, in, the, in the New Testament language, the word for worry and the word for care are really the same word. And context is what decides it. So I want to work from a place of care, that I care about people. I care about this work that's been entrusted to me. I care about doing it well. I care. But that's not the same as I'm worried. Uh, the difference, I, I've, I've sort of thought about this. Um, anxiety, anxiety is like care minus God. Anxiety is when my cares, genuine as they may be, get divorced from a sense that God is present too. God cares more. God's more involved than I am. God has better ideas than I have. And being able to trust that lets me work hard, but from a place of peace, caring peace. Because again, peace and love, man, those go together. Great. Uh, peace and anxiety, you know, not so much. Not obviously. so good. Yeah, that's excellent. I like that. Care minus God. That uh, That's really helpful. I think that gives a lot of us just a, a category to even judge some of these feelings that we may be having with some of that. So in your writings, you talk about uh, some differences here. I want to go through two of them. I want to talk about the idol of efficiency. But first, before we get to that, the difference between numbing and resting. I think I've got a category there, and, and I think I understand what you mean, but I want to give you a chance to explain that. How, how would you differentiate between those two? So the, the reason I think that's important is that um, we're not very good at resting. As a culture, we have a strong work ethic, and it's a great gift. And we have, I think, blessed the world with our work ethic, but we don't have an equally strong rest ethic. And I think we need to. If we're going to be people who describe ourselves as followers of Jesus, well, then the very fabric of creation includes ideas like six days of work and one day of Sabbath, one day of rest. That's the rhythm of creation. That wasn't just some little obscure uh, Jewish rule that, you know, Moses came up with and told God's people they had to do. This is the spirit. And the reason things like a Sabbath are so important is it's a day when I remember I'm not what I do. I need that because if I don't have that, then I keep measuring myself as I'm the one, uh, I'm the one who does things. So that's why I can't rest. Now, what that leads to is since I can't rest because resting is not doing anything and not doing anything means I'm a nobody. Well, that, that whole equation just puts me in a place where I can't stop. So then the only option I have left to myself is numbing. Whether that's substances, drinking too much, eating too much, watching too much TV, engaging in, you know, just getting lost in social media, any number of things. Here's the thing. When you're numb, you don't feel tired, but you're not resting. You're just not feeling tired. Now, when the numb wears off, you're tired again, sometimes tireder. The thing about rest is rest actually brings things like refreshment. 
and renewal and restoration. You know, I don't think any of us have gotten up from a binge session of two, three, four hours of TV and thought, man, am I refreshed. No. You know, we <laughs> probably more likely felt like mildly depressed and yeah, kind of now uh, I need a vacation. Now why'd I, I do off. that? Yeah. <laughs> That's so good. And it reminds me, you know, there, that, that, and it, good, because I think I was on the right track of the way you were, where I thought you were going to go with that. And I remember reading in Psalm 23 years ago, just the simple line that just says, he refreshes my soul, right? That God refreshes my soul. And I remember writing in the journal, either in my journal, journal or in the margin of like, what I need, I think I need a night off to watch TV, uh, but what I really need is I need God to refresh my soul. And I and I like the language you put on there. I was thinking I needed numbing. What I really needed is rest, which is a little bit deeper. And now, now it really also expands it, because now rest can be sitting around uh, laughing with some friends, right? Yes. That could be so soul-satisfying. It's not doing anything. It's just enjoying the company, right, of friendship. Uh, it could be reading a book. It could be going to bed early. It could be exercising. It could be going for a walk. But I like that. What, what causes you to feel, ah, right? That, that's a sense of rest that the Lord has for us. Well, and I think what that also does then is my, my, my idea of rest ethic. We need to know that that's important for us, that God is giving us rest just as surely as God is giving us work. And we don't want to be guilty of just unwrapping the present of work, all the great opportunities God opens to me, and then fail to open the gifts that he gives for refreshment and renewal. And and in that, I think the thing that we can just keep asking ourselves is, and this maybe is very personal, what helps me feel refreshed? And am I not giving myself permission to take time for those sorts of things because of my orientation to work? Yep. Really good. Have you noticed uh, some different answers to that based on, let's just go the basic, like introvert, extrovert? Uh, do extroverts answer that in your experience differently than an introvert may? And then uh, do you ever see, I guess part two of that would be, do you ever see them holding each other accountable to <laughs> their own preferences, right? The introverts are going, you need to be alone. That's the only way. And the extroverts are like, no, I need to be with people. Do you, do you see that? Play oh, absolutely. Out that way? Yeah. No, that's exactly right. And, and what that, that's just one way of, of saying that uh, while there are some things that help everybody rest, you know, Sabbath, that's the purpose of that rhythm. But but how an extrovert enjoys a Sabbath versus perhaps how an introvert enjoys a Sabbath. Part of the uniqueness of Sabbath, of course, is it's really not meant to be an individual practice anyway. It's a communal. So us introverts and us extroverts are all going to have to find a way to be in community together. And maybe the introverts need to get up a little early and find some of that alone time. I don't know. And And maybe the extroverts need to recognize those introverts need a moment in their cave. You know, I don't know. I just know my wife and my wife is the strong extrovert. I am the strong introvert. And how we rest, there's plenty of overlap, but there's some ways in which I really need something she doesn't always need. And she needs some things I don't always need. Yeah, that's good. Okay, let's talk real quick before we wrap up, because this uh, I'm looking at the clock. I'm like, golly, this is flying by. This is so good. But uh, talk about the idol of efficiency. Because again, I think if we think with this old Protestant work ethic, right, it's good. Uh, our country here, you know, especially here in the West in America, we pride ourselves on this hard work. Uh, so efficiency, definitely a buzzword, definitely something we're all looking for, all the life hacks that are out there. Uh, talk about where that can now start to bleed into this idol. 
So I think the the challenge is I am not anti-efficiency. Like I I don't love sitting on a freeway behind somebody who's driving 10 miles under the speed limit. That's not one of my favorite things. A very inefficient use of the freeway. Very. As far as and I'm you concerned. feel that uh, especially in Orange County. Oh, yeah, of course. Well, I'd probably feel it anywhere because I'm from Orange County. But, <laughs> but uh, anyway, all that to say, the thing about efficiency is, yeah, I'm all for doing what I do as well as I can, being able to do it, you know, with less effort, work smarter, don't work harder. But the thing about efficiency is it doesn't say anything about the value of the things I'm getting done quicker. A lot of times I can end up in this mode of efficiency where I'm just getting lots of things done. But if I really stopped and looked back, I might wonder over the course of a day if I got anything done that matters to me. I, I have an empty email box. Okay. Um, hooray. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe that's good. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, and I, you know, I, I responded to every request that everybody else sent to me and I'm, and yeah, again, maybe hooray. Maybe that's exactly what you needed to do. I just know for me, I need to be able to step back occasionally inefficiently and reflect and think. And, you know, last week, my wife and I got away for a week, not for vacation, but to do certain sorts of work that require an immense amount of focus and concentration. We've just organized our lives because of the nature of what we do that we need that. So again, I think what I want to say is I want to live a fruitful life. And fruitfulness does is not always easily measured by efficiency. If you're a farmer, it's just stuff you need to do. And you cannot speed up when a vine will bear the grapes. They're just going to bear the, but there are things you can do day after day after day to contribute to that vine one day producing the, the most beautiful, tasty grapes that it could possibly produce. That does not feel efficient, but it is profoundly fruitful. I love that. Again, just such, such good use of those words there with that on, uh, yeah, the efficiency versus the productivity or the, uh, the fruitfulness. I love that. So uh, last question here, Alan, let me ask you this. So if somebody, um, a quick example. So back in the day when I used to be on staff at a church, there was a stint where I was leading our stewardship ministry. And one of the things about leading our stewardship ministry is everybody thought every time I ever purchased anything, I was using a coupon or buying generic, right? That was just kind of like part of my, re- oh, Adam, oh, of course you're shopping there. You got a coupon, didn't you? Oh, wow, you have name brand tortilla chips. That's interesting. You don't go the generic brand. So it was like all these misconceptions about what uh, what stewardship meant. And and it was all, you know, some of it was all in good meaning and fun. But um, so here it is. You've written this book on Unhurried. You've gotten some companion guys to go with it. This is part of your life's work now, right? Like this is one of your core messages. If we glanced at your calendar or the way you thought about your day, would what would what would be different, right? Do you, do you think we'd see something different or uh, or not? Well, I think so. Um, so, for example, you would probably fee- see more spaces than you might expect. Uh, you would see one week a month where I don't do appointments. Part of that is because I'm an author, and when you're in, involved in that kind of work, you need spaces of utter focus. Yeah, and you can't. And if I try, if I try to write in the middle of packed appointment weeks, I just it's not very deep. I can write words on my screen, but it's not the kind of stuff I want. You would find that I rarely take an appointment before mid morning, again because a a lot of what I want to be able to do requires some depth of thought, some prayer. Uh, I need unhurried time with God. 
you know, there's that line Martin Luther used to say, you know, we've quoted him and people say, you know, well, he said, I have such a full day. I need to get up an hour and have an, one hour more of prayer. I used to thought think that was real spiritual, but not very practical. Right. <laughs> but now I think it's pretty practical, too. Um, who I am when I'm that tuned in to God with me, I do far better work than the me that is three quarters unaware that God's with me in a particular moment. So those are some things you'd see in my daily, weekly, even annual calendar, just some some spaces where maybe others don't have spaces. I love that. And and getting to the point, I'm sure it took a while before you started to realize uh, doing that is work. So it's it, again, it's not that you sleep in till mid-morning. No. It's that you're doing different work. So, you know, That's I put right. that in quotes in, in the morning that are helping you when you do kind of have, you know, let's say the public side or you are starting to meet with people. Uh, it allows you to be uh, to be at your best at those moments. So, is that is that a fair way to summarize some of that? No, that's exactly right. Yeah, I'm not lazy in those hours. I'm resting, but by resting, I don't mean sleeping. I mean I'm resting. My soul is finding rest in God alone, like the Psalms describe. I'm listening. I'm paying attention. I'm letting God speak to me so that I have something to say to others. I mean, all of that is part of the work. I, I would even argue, actually, that resting is hard work. For some busy people, resting is the hardest thing you'll do. Um, it requires effort. You'll you'll have to work at it. Fantastic. Alan, how can people find out more about you? They're listening, uh, want to get a copy of your book, or just learn what you're doing. Where, where do you want them to go? Well, the easiest place to go would be our website, unhurriedliving.com. You can find out about uh, my uh, four books and my wife's uh, book there. Find about our podcasts, a number of other offerings we have that'd be the best place to find out more. Great. Well, I will put a link to that in the show notes. Uh, Alan, this was fascinating. Thank you so much for jumping on the Better Man podcast with us today. Thank you. It was a great pleasure. Well, if you didn't catch that there at the end, if you want to learn more about Alan and his wife's ministry, you can go to unhurriedliving.com. That's unhurriedliving.com. Today's episode, like all episodes of the Better Man podcast, was mixed and edited and produced by the team over at Sound of a Rose. You can learn more about them at soundofarose.com. That's all we got for today on the Better Man podcast. We'll talk to you again next time.